Good morning, everybody. Please rise for the reading of God's Word if you need a Bible. Raise your hands. We're in the book of Luke. We are going through Luke chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are in the book. uh, We are in the eighth chapter, chapter eight. We're going to be in a whole bunch of verses, but I'm just going to read one right now. The book of Luke, chapter eight. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Bible, anyone? Anybody else? Bible, we not only like to hear the Word of God, but something special happens when we look at it, that imprint in your mind, in your brain of, of God's holy Word. It's a powerful thing that happens when we read God's Word. Verse 40 of Luke chapter 8 says this, So it was... When Jesus returned, that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Let's pray. Lord, and that is, that is how we want the condition of our hearts this morning, waiting for you, waiting for your word, waiting with expectation. Lord, this crowd we know from previous verses, they knew about something about Jesus' power. They had seen it, Lord, and so have we. And, Lord, we eagerly expect waiting this morning as to what you want to do with us, Lord. We came here because we want you to do a work in us. Your word says that those who you foreknew, you have predestined to be conformed into your image. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful expression of your will. That you have predestined us. That it was your plan for us before you called us into your kingdom. To be changed into your likeness transformed into your image to be like you Lord that's our heart and and our desire this morning we pray this in Jesus name amen okay you may be seated so last week we were in verses 22 through 39 in those verses there are two separate events recorded and in these two events they actually occur within a couple hours of each other Uh, the two events are meant to convey to the reader that Jesus is no ordinary human being in fact he's the son of God And he has full power and authority over nature or natural forces. But he also has full power and authority over the supernatural, supernatural forces. We saw those with those two events last week. In the first event, Jesus and disciples are in the middle of the Sea of Galilee at night. A violent storm comes up. Uh, Out of nowhere, the sea is described there by Luke as a raging sea. The boat is filling up with water. Amazingly, Jesus is asleep. They wake him up, 
the disciples do, and they declare to him, we're dying. Don't you care that we're dying? We read that in the book of Mark. And he commands the winds and waves to cease, and immediately there was a calm. The book of Mark says a great calm. Full power and authority over nature. The disciples say, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So they gather themselves and make their way in the boat to the other side, to the land of the Gadarenes, the people of Gad. That was a tribe in Israel. And who are they greeted by at the other side of the uh, sea? A man possessed with demons, not just one, not just a few, but many, at least 2,000. This demon-possessed man lived in tombs far from the city. According to the book of Mark, he had no clothes. He was naked. There were cuts all over his body. He screamed day and night. Welcome to the land of the Gadarenes. So in verse 27, this man runs up to Jesus and fell at his feet, and the demons actually spoke to him, verse 28, what have we or what have I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the Most High? Have you come to torment me? Jesus cast out the demons, and then it got little weird for us American eyes, cast them out into a herd of pigs, 2,000 of them. And the pigs were driven into the sea and drowned. <laughs> chapter by chapter through the book of Luke, that's what we found last week. Needless to say, news got out about all this really fast. The multitude in the whole region uh, came and to see what had happened for themselves. And here was the man who had been demon-possessed. Everyone is man by this time. It was a household name. Everyone knew this guy by this time. And here he is, and he was clothed, and he was in his right Mind. Verse 35 says, Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And you know, that's what Jesus does. He takes people who for a multitude of reasons are not in their right mind. Demon possession is one that we're not as familiar with, but that's just one. The United States has all of its ways that it puts people not in their right mind. He takes those people and he puts them in a right mind. And if that is you this morning... If you're not in your right mind, sitting in your seat, I can tell you I was once sit, s sitting in a church years ago, not in my right mind. And I can tell you, Jesus can take your mind, all scrambled up though it may be, and he can put you in a right mind. That's what he does. And so in Luke chapter 8, uh, this multitude comes out to see this man. He's clothed and in his right uh, mind. Now, it's entirely likely these people had, I believe, uh, that they had heard as well about his report about calming the great storm. 
So here is this man in their midst, Jesus, who has full power and authority uh, over nature, over the natural, natural forces, but he also has full power and authority over supernatural forces. And it says at the end of verse 36, they were afraid. Verse 37 says they were afraid. In verse, actually in verse 37, it says they were in great fear, seized by great fear, it says. And it says they asked him to leave. In the book of Mark, it says they pleaded with him to leave. Now, why were they in fear? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. They were in fear about what it would mean to them to have someone in their midst who seemed to have full power and authority over nature, over the supernatural, rather over the natural, but also the supernatural. They were filled with great fear because surely if he remained, that would mean change in their life. So they asked him to leave. They wanted a normal life. That's why they asked them to leave. They wanted a normal life. The church in the United States of America is filled with people who call themselves Christians. The number one priority for them is that they have a normal life. They believe in God. They believe in the power and authority of God, but they're fearful of what submitting to him, what that may mean. They want a normal life, so they ask God to more or less stay out of their life, or maybe they would they keep him in a small compartment of their life to be a part of their life, but not the whole of their life. Could that describe you this morning? Could it be said of you that really, more than anything, what you want is just normalcy, a normal life? You believe in God, but man, if he gets too close, you ask him to back off. Amazingly, he will. Verse 37 says, and he, Jesus, got into the boat and returned. God will leave if you ask him to. He will not force himself on you. Love is never like that. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't force itself on people. God is love. That's a verse in the Bible. He will, when he's asked to leave or when he's asked to be just a small part of your life, he, amazingly, though he is the creator, though he is El Shaddai, God Almighty, he complies with those requests. Verse 40, however, and this is where we began, says, so it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. So if you've never asked Jesus to come to you, Lord, 
normal life or nor, no normal life, whatever it may mean, please come to me. Come inside. Come in my life. Take over, Lord. He will. He leaves here, who, the people who asked him to leave, and he goes to the people who were waiting for him. Beautiful picture. The Lord does that. Verse 41 says, and behold. So you have the multitude uh, waiting for him. And then we get here into two other events or incidents that they're very much interconnected with each other, just like the incidents we just uh, read about in the verses before. Verse 41 says, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. The synagogue was like their church, the Jewish people's church. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now, a woman, thronged mean they were just converging on him. More on that a little later. Now, a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians, doctors, and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those uh, with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus says, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned, and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had Happened. And he did that, by the way, because he was already virtually unable to walk from town to town. And so he wanted sort of to eliminate what had become, for many, more like a traveling circus rather than real dedication to the Lord. And we'll talk about that more in later chapters. But uh, so here you have, again, two stories interconnected with each other. And just like the two stories earlier in the chapter, there's a reason they are interconnected. You have a man and a woman. 
First, you have Jairus. He's a ruler of the synagogue. Uh, this is probably in the synagogue, uh, the city of Capernaum, which was a large city, large synagogue. Actually, you can go see it today, its ruins. But Jairus would have been a wealthy man. At least he would have been a man of considerable means. And he would have been very educated. He would have been a very respected man. He would have, you would have mentioned his name here, and everyone would have known him. He would have been well-known. He was also a powerful man. But it says in verse 41 of Luke chapter 8 that he came begging, begging to Jesus. Verse 41 says this rich, powerful, educated man fell at Jesus' feet. He was desperate. Why? His daughter, his only daughter, was almost dead. Now, the woman in verse 43, however, could hardly have been more different than this man. Almost certainly, she was an outcast. Why? It says that she had a flow of blood for 12 years. Verse 42 says that. She had a flow of blood for uh, 12 years. Well, why would that make her an outcast? Well, this would have made her unclean under Jewish Old Testament law at the time, meaning she would not have been allowed at the temple. She would have not have been allowed uh, in the synagogue. Uh, but actually, the ramifications were much, much worse. The Old Testament, believe it or not, has three verses which would have had a profound impact on this woman's life. Now, buckle your seatbelts. Uh, these are not the kind of verses you normally talk about on Sunday morning. Calvary Chapel, we don't shy away from these verses, though. You'll see, though, you'll see, though, as we put these up on the pro projection screen, it is it, how excruciating this woman's circumstances would have been because of these verses. Leviticus uh, chapter 15, verses 25 through 27, actually. Uh, it's when a, it says this. This is Old Testament law. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days. You say, this is in the Bible? Yes, this is in the Bible, in the book of Leviticus. She will be unclean as long as she has the discharge. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean. Anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. So, and then it goes on, go ahead, and anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be unclean till evening. So these three verses actually have to do with the flow of blood as distinguished that goes on for many days, and then if you read it, if you can feel free to go to these verses, it distinguishes a woman who has a flow of blood for many days uh, from a woman just in her period, in her customary period. It distinguishes if you go to those verses and read. So literally, these three verses uh, apply to this woman, and you can only imagine what it would have been like for her, this woman in Luke chapter 8, who's had a nonstop flow of blood for 12 years. First of all, the illness was slowly killing her. The book of Mark 
says that. She would have been chronically weak and anemic just with the loss of iron and everything else uh, blood provides. But that would have been just the beginning. All of life in the Jewish community revolved around religious feasts and festivals, and she would have been prohibited from going to them. Imagine being prohibited from attending um, any Christmas or Easter celebration. That was this woman's life. She probably was very restricted in how she interacted with her family. She uh, it is highly unlikely she had any friendship, at least how we consider a, a, a friendship. But she had also lost all her money. Verse 43 says she spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by them. Luke, being a doctor, was being nice to his fellow doctors. In the book of Mark, it says this. Some of us know about this from our experience with doctors. She had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. So here's this woman. She is slowly dying, lost all her money during feasts and festivals. She was alone. She was separate from friends and family. She lived the life of a leper with one difference. She could become anonymous. She, she could get into a big crowd and just lose herself in it. And that's what we see her doing here in Luke chapter 8. In the book of Mark, it says this woman gets caught up in this crowd, and she says this in the book of Mark. She says, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And somehow she gets to him. Now, keep in mind, this woman, severely anemic, weakened, loss of blood, incredibly weak, she is able to get to this to Jesus with the crowds that are literally suffocating him. Verse 42, it says the crowd thronged Jesus. That word throng in that verse, verse 42, the root word in Greek is uh, nego, which means to choke or to strangle or to suffocate. And, and remember earlier in the chapter, Jesus' mother and brothers couldn't even get to him. Remember the story in Luke chapter 5 with a paralytic. His four friends had to go up on top of a roof things were so crowded and bust a hole right through the roof to get to him. And meanwhile, this woman is able to make her way through that crowd, reach out and grab his robe. She was what? She was desperate. So two people, one, Jairus, the ruler of a synagogue, a wealthy man, an educated man, respected, well-known, powerful, very religious as the leader of a synagogue. Also, he was, he, I believe he, he, he must have been a good man. He was probably responsible for feeding the multitudes of poor, caring for widows and orphans, caring for the spiritual need of thousands of people. But here's this woman. She's got, she has got no money at all, no, more likely than not, no education, an outcast, not allowed in the temple or synagogue. Um, so at least at one level, she's not, unlike Jairus, she's not religious at all. In terms of her ability to serve people, to care for them, to bless them, severely, severely limited. There can hardly be more of a contrast between two people. Yet here they are, right together. These, these stories 
are more than side by side. They're intermingled. Because you start off with Jairus, you move to this woman, and then you go back to uh, Jairus in Luke chapter 8. So different, but yet they get to a place in their life where they're basically so alike. They desperately want something from Jesus, but they have nothing to offer him in return to get that thing. Except for one thing, faith. Everything in life, brothers and sisters, gets stripped down to this. And we see it here in Luke chapter 8. Jairus, his money, his education, his reputation, his power, his good works, they don't mean a thing anymore. They're all useless. He's in the exact same position before the Lord as this woman, this woman who had nothing. She had lost everything. All either of them have is faith. So whatever you do, don't miss what God is saying here to you, me, us. You can have all the power in the world, all the riches, all the influence. You can be very religious. You can have a long life of doing really, really, really good things. For a lot of people, a lot of needy people, but don't think for a second that puts you in a better position with anyone else on the face of the earth. And vice versa. Let me ask you a question. If, God forbid, you were to die today, if, God forbid, you were to die today and you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What would you say? <laughs> we have someone answering outside. What would you say if you stood before God today? God God asked you this question, why should I let you into my heaven? Would you say, well, I've tried to be religious. I've tried to be good to a lot of people because I've been a good brother. I've been a good son. I've been a, a good daughter because I'm better than a whole lot of people on this earth. I read the papers. I'm better than a lot of people on this earth. If that or anything like that is what you are relying upon to get into heaven, or if that or anything like that is what you're relying, relying upon to have access to God, to come into this church, to pray to God, if you're relying on anything, 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 anything other than simple faith, you are sorely mistaken and you have a twisted, it's an outdated religious term, but it's biblically accurate. You have a perverted view of the Lord and your relationship with the Lord.
The Bible says there's only one way to get to heaven and there's only one basis that we can obtain access to God in prayer or for any other reason, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in what? Faith in who he is and what he has done. Who is he and what has he done? We've just seen it. He's the son of God. He has full power and authority over nature, the natural, and the supernatural. What has he done? He's taken your sins with him to the cross. He took your sins with you to the cross. Your sins. Your past sins, the sins that's that's dwelling in the seedbed of your heart right now, and your future sin, and he took them to the cross. The Bible says that there he was crucified in your place. The Bible says that the penalty for your sin is death. But Jesus paid that penalty by dying for you. He was buried, and after three days, he rose from the dead, and he rose from the dead. Why? To give you new life, a new life with him. You get into heaven. You obtain access to God only for one reason, on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works or good works, so that no one could boast. Another translation says this, the New Living Translation says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. And so you may ask, why is it that God will not accept anything, any of the good things that I've done in my life? We've all done some good things. Why is it that he won't accept that as a reason to go into heaven or as a reason to pray? Why is it that... Uh, the the opposite is true, that God will accept me regardless of all the bad things I've done. And why will he even accept me into prayer in spite of the bad things I did this morning? The answer is right here. Can we put that back up? It says in in the... uh, It says there at the very end of the verse, so none of us can boast about it. You see, the reason that heaven is going to be so good, there's going to be no boasting in man there. There's not going to be a single person boasting there. It'll be so glorious because God alone will get the glory. God alone will get all the glory. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah says repeatedly, No flesh, no man will glory in my presence. No man ever will glory in my presence. And so it's for that reason that when we appear before God, whether it's for prayer because a daughter or son is dying or when we appear before God, Um, At the judgment seat, there's only one thing that we can ever offer him. Faith in what the Son of God did for us at the cross. 
if you've never come to Jesus, to put you in your right mind if you've never done that, to unscramble the scrambled mess that is in your mind, if you've never come to Jesus to save you, to receive the free gift of heaven, of eternal life, if you've never come to Jesus with the full recognition that you've got nothing to offer him but faith, that Jesus paid it all on the cross, if you've never done that. There's going to be folks actually during the closing song today. You can come up with them and ask Jesus into your life. It's a simple prayer of faith. We say by faith not by offering up any goodness to him. But that is what we see here in Luke chapter 8. Two people, incredibly different from one another, but at the end of the day, they have nothing. One of them has everything from a worldly point of view. The other one has nothing except her guilt and her shame. But before the Lord, they're identical. They come only by faith. So let's finish up here in Luke chapter 8. Jairus is desperate for healing for his only daughter. The woman with the flow of blood is desperate for healing for himself. In verse 44, she comes up behind him and touches his robe. Verse 46, uh, Jesus says, somebody touch me for I perceive power uh, coming from me. That doesn't mean like Jesus is an eight-volt battery or something like that. You know, some power came from me like he has to be recharged. Uh, It's not like that. The Lord is infinite in power. He's infinitely capable of unleashing his power in an an infinite way to um, the whole earth if he wants to. But he says, power came from me, verse 47. Now, when the woman saw that she was not, uh, not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and, she, uh, and how she was healed immediately. And he said, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then the chapter finishes out with Jairus. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, from Jairus's house where his daughter was dying, and said to him, your daughter's dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard this, he answered saying, he actually answered, he turned to Jairus and he said, do not be afraid, only believe and she will be made well. And when he, he, Jesus, came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. And so he put them all outside. There's a time that the Lord just removes mockers. There will be a time in the second return of Christ, and Jesus promised this time would come, where mockers will be judged. And there's an everlasting, there's not going to be in in that time, there's not going to be in that time a chance to go to heaven. It'll be judgment. They would have already been given the opportunity for heaven. There's everlasting torment for mockers. Here you see a little glimpse of that. Um, He puts the mockers outside and he takes the girl by the hand and called saying, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned. She rose immediately. He commanded that she, was, uh, she be given something to eat. He's the great physician. 
He knows, by, he knows all about being a physician by the spirit, but also physically here for whatever reason. She needs something to eat. Verse 56, and her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell none what had happened. I just want to leave you with a few things, and then we'll close. Number one, notice that at the beginning, Jairus, uh, he, he begs Jesus to come to his house, and Jesus follows him, but there is a delay uh, it actually says in verse 42, Jesus followed him, but as he went, the multitude thronged him. In other words, it slowed him down. And, and there's another delay with this woman. This woman comes and uh, touches him, and he stops, uh, he stops right there. You know, who touched me? And, and, and you know something? Jairus was in a desperate hurry, and so many times we are too, to bring Jesus to our problem. But notice, though, things weren't happening according to his uh, timetable. That doesn't hinder God. If God's not going on your timetable and, and some things, well, Lord, wait a second, this is happening now? Now You told me you were going to do this. It doesn't hinder God at all. Wonderful lesson here. Number two, interesting how Jesus does call out this woman. Why doesn't he just let her remain anonymous? Uh, why does he do this? Well, her life was a testimony to the faithfulness of God. And, and let me tell you something. From time to time, I'll ask someone, what is their faith in God? And they say, well, yeah, it's a personal matter. This is a private thing. Uh, can we talk about the weather or the Red Sox or whatever. Faith is not a pr private matter. It never is in the Bible. You know, from time to time, a couple times a month, we ask people to come up here who want to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord, their Master, and their Savior. Why? Because in the Bible, that's what Jesus did. He called them out publicly, not because he wanted to torture them, because, man, it's a glorious experience. Look how when he... When, he, uh, when the woman departs from him, or before she did, what did he say? Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She still had some lingering guilt and stuff like that. And so just, just coming out and with Jesus public, what did we read a couple of weeks ago in verse 16? No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. Number three, uh, you know, sooner or later, you're going to, if it hasn't happened already, you're going to receive news that is heartbreaking news, that is just devastating news. It's a part of life. We live in a fallen world. Some of you this morning, you may be sitting here having received in the last week or two heartbreaking news, news that's very difficult to live with. So did this guy Jairus. The news was this, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. Well, listen, when that happens, please get God's take on the information. What was Jesus' take here? Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. Go to the Lord and find out what his perspective is on the devastating news. 
You know, sometimes people say, but what if I pray and, 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 and my kid or my relative dies? Listen to this uh, wonderful testimony here from G. Campbell Morgan, famous uh, pastor from, I believe, the early 20th century. He says this about this exact same verse. He says, when I speak on this verse, I can hardly speak about it without becoming personal and reminiscent, remembering a time 40 years ago when my own first daughter, my, he calls her her lassie, lay at the point of death dying. I called for God then, and he came. And surely he said to our troubled hearts at the time the same thing, fear not, believe only. Do not fear, only believe. God did not say to me, she will be made whole. She was not made whole on the earthly plane. She passed away into the life beyond. He did say to her, little girl, arise. But in her case, that did not mean stay on earth. It meant that he needed her, and he took her to be with himself. She has been with him all those years. And as we, as we measure time here, at least, and I have missed her every day, but his word, fear not, believe only, has been the strength of all the passing years. Praise the Lord for that testimony. A fourth thing to take away from this story is, you know, they both had a flawed faith. People say all the time, I'm not sure I'm really going to heaven because when I gave my life to Jesus, I, I don't know if my heart was like totally, totally like a good, perfect, whole faith. Well, listen, this guy, uh, Jairus, said to Jesus, hey, will you come to my house in the book of Mark, it says, and put your hand on her. Jesus has already said in the book of Luke, the Roman centurion, uh, a faith that really pleases God was of the Roman centurion who said, you don't even have to come into my house. Just say the word. You have all authority over nature and, and my servant will be healed. And, and he was healed. The servant was. It was a flawed faith. He had a flawed faith. The woman was the same way. She was trembling. Not only that, she had to touch his garment. That, that, does God need us to touch his garment? Of course not. He doesn't even have to be present. John 17, we read that this week in our, in, at the home group. Jesus says, I pray for the faith of those who, who, who have not seen, who haven't been physically present. It makes no difference whatsoever. But let me tell you, if the faith is real, and the faith is real, and it's genuine, the Lord will honor it. Now, God doesn't want us to stay with a flawed uh, faith, with a, with a weak faith. He wants to build it up over time, but he will honor it. And, and, and you know, I'm going to finish with this, and I promise. <laughs> this is my last point. I love the desperation here. And if you've been a Christian for a while, I hope the desperation at one level at least, never leaves. Now, please don't think that you just get desperate for God at the beginning of your walk with God. That certainly has not been 
my experience, Stephanie's in my experience, there's always an area of your life or an area of ministry, man, that you need to get desperate and you need to go after the Lord and cling to him and say, Lord, please, please, on this matter, this area of sin, this area of ministry, whatever, this sick relative, this friend, this situation, you better not lose at least in, in that one part or other part of your life, that sense of desperation. Do you just want to be part of the throng, part of the multitude that's like walking around with Jesus? I like this circus thing. They really liked walking with him until he turned to them in John chapter 6 and said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of the blood, you can't be my disciple. Then they all took off. Are you just a part of the throng? Or are you a Jairus? Are you a woman like this woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years? Who's, there's something in your life that you, uh, it's, it's related to the fourth point. There's, there, there's something in your life that you're desperate about and you're going after the Lord. That is the faith that pleases God. It's the faith that presses in. It's the faith of the persistent widow that keeps on knocking on the door. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want us being part of the throng, the multitude, the people who would just walk alongside of him. He wants that relationship with us where we're coming in and we're going in. We're pressing in hard. What a great picture. What a great picture of God's grace. Okay, if you have been asked to pray or if you're on the worship team, if you could come up and we're going to close in prayer, if you could just rise for that, the closing worship song, and I'm also going to just close in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for this wonderful picture presented to us, Lord. And we just say, as a church family together, there's nothing that we can boast about. Lord, everything has come by the hand of grace, your hand. We just recognize this morning, we just thank you, Lord, for the cross. We thank you that the door has been opened, not just a little bit, but just wide open for us to come right into the throne of grace, for us to find grace and to find mercy in our time of need. We just thank you for that. We thank you for this wonderful picture that though we may have abundance in our life or we may have no abundance whatsoever, you love us. You said to this woman, you said, oh, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And Lord, you're speaking the same word today. June 24th, 2012. We praise you for that, Lord. And I pray for anyone here, Lord, that has never received Jesus as Lord, that they would come up now to pray and receive him in that way. And for everybody, Lord, that we, yes, we, Lord, we wouldn't just be part of the throng that by your grace, by a work that you do in our hearts, Lord, that we would get desperate for that area of our life, that sin, that problem, that that ministry, Lord, that you want to touch, you want to take care of. We thank you for loving us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.